Hello there and welcome to the Punch Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liv. And this is the show where we take a look at graphic novels and trade collections with female protagonists and coming at them from different perspectives. That of a lifelong geek and a uh, children's librarian. I think you can guess which of us is which. So this time, in honor of the newly released, uh, as of this recording, Thor Ragnarok, which neither of us have seen yet, um, we are taking a look at Thor, the Goddess of Thunder, Volume 1. So, Liz, did you have any experience with Thor beyond the movies? Um, not in terms of the comics. Um, I know a little bit about Norse mythology, so that's how I know the name Thor. I'm assuming you mean strictly to the comics. So. I, that, that was more where I was leaning, but whatever whatever ahead of time knowledge you might have had going in is kind of what I'm. Yeah, comic-wise, no. Um, and again, my I'm even realizing reading the comics, I'm like, oh, I've forgotten a lot of the Norse mythology connections I knew in terms of connecting it to the comics. So. Yeah, which kind of embarrasses me a little bit. I gotta brush up on it. Well, I mean, because that is that is actually your lineage, isn't it? A little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Scandinavian, Danish. Mm. So yeah, it would be good to know. I'm more of a. I know my Greek and Roman gods better, but Norse probably next. But it's been a while, so. Fair enough. So um, let's take a look at this. So Thor, Goddess of Thunder, Volume 1, collects issues 1 through 5 of the comic of the same name. All issues were written by Jason Aaron. The artist for issues 1 through 4 was Russell uh, Dowderman. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Jorge Molina was the artist on issue number 5. The colorist for issues 1 through 4 was Matthew Wilson. Jorge Molina was his own colorist on issue 5. All the lettering was done by Joe Sabino. Um, cover art was uh, Russell Dowderman and Frank Martin. Ed assistant editor was John Moison, and the editor was Will Moss. And of course, Thor himself as a character in comics, created by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. So, as this thing opens, it actually has a little bit of a um, sort of a. Uh, well, it opens on an action scene under underwater with ice giants. Yeah, there's they kind of do that trope that I I like it where it's like these random people you don't really know that don't have anything to do with the story but they mysteriously die. And I even though it's a trope in like movies and comics, I still kind of like it. It works for me. It kind of doesn't work for me as a trope, but but that's, that's fine. Right. That's what we open with. We have ice giants attacking attacking an underwater base. We then get a little bit of kind of we basically get a background page, which I don't know if that was an insert on the um, on the trade or if it was in the original comic, giving the giving what the current status quo was, which is that Odin, Thor's father, had been out of action for a while, and his oh, wife. Oh bummer. 
and his wife, uh, Freya, or Frigga, she's called Freya in this, she's been called Frigga in the past, but it's the same person. She was ruling Asgard. Yeah, Daniel did research on that guy. I did a tiny bit, but only I only because I was confused. <laughs> it, so it became sure, a, a personal... I will. I will. It was a 10 second on, on Wikipedia. That's about all I'm willing to devote. In, in any case, uh, Freya had been ruling Asgard as the All-Mother, but Odin is now back taking that position again. And Thor, for reasons that are not known yet, um, can no longer lift his hammer. He is now unworthy of it. And so it opens up with just the Thor, the Thor's is kneeling in front of the hammer, Mjolnir, and he, he can't pick it up. Odin can't pick it up. Everyone just kind of walks away. And then, um, you know who doesn't try to pick it up? Freya. Freya does not try and pick it that up. That comes in later. Um, so we then get a little bit more at the underwater base where we get Malekith, the dark elf, who is apparently in league with the ice giants. We don't quite know why yet. Thor shows up to try and stop him wielding an axe in this case. That is a fight that does not go well for him and Malekith takes his arm off. And then at the abandoned hammer, a woman who we don't see and we don't know who it is, picks it up and when she touches it, the inscription on the hammer um, which is normally whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. Suddenly an S appears at the front of that he, so it becomes if she be worthy, she lifts it up, and we get our first full look at Thor, goddess of thunder, in this, um, with the massive cape and the flowing blonde hair and, and a helmet, which is also face covering. That's kind of important because the fact that nobody knows who she is factors into all this quite a bit. Um, but without going point for point for what happened next, she takes on the Ice Giants, she takes on Malekith, um, Thor, who at this point I'm going to call Odin's son because that's the name that he ends up adopting by the end. He shows up, uh, <coughs> the two of them clash initially because he basically accuses her of stealing yes. his hammer. Um, but it isn't too long before they join forces against the evil... Uh, this, one of the standard evil corporations in the Marvel Universe, which is Roxxon, um, which is what the uh, the Ice Giants are assaulting their floating base because evil corporations in Marvel are kind of ridiculous. Um, so yeah, there's so there's, there's a, a lot of ridiculousness. There's this. there is quite a bit. Um, so there's a there's a lot of confrontation between Malekith and the Minotaur, who is apparently running Roxxon, and the Dario Agar, I think is his name. Dario Agar, yep. Or Agar, I'm not sure how you say it. I'm gonna say Agar. Um, aggravating. Aggravating. <laughs> um, so Thor and Odin's son, they they wreck shop, um, and apparently all of this is over the skull of Luffy, who was the. <gasps> Now that you pronounce his name, it sounds really funny. <laughs> I might be pronouncing it wrong for the right. It's either it's Luffy or it's Luffy or I. I, I like Luffy. Oh my gosh! We'll go with that. Big Frost Giant King. That's a hysterical. Yeah. Name. So he he he's the he's the dead Frost Giant King, and they're trying to get his skull back, which um, by the end Thor appears to smash to bits. The Ice Giants go away, um, and that's sort of the end of the immediate story that covers the first four issues um but then we do get issue five is also in here which is a bit 
of a one-off, which has Thor uh, taking down the Absorbing Man and Titania, and there's a bit with basically um, Odinson more or less accepting that he is not does not wield the power of Thor anymore. Odin not accepting that and bringing in his very evil brother to try and sort all this out. Freya probably dealing with it coolest of all, and uh, Odinson... Of course, because she's awesome. Odinson now basically has a checklist of people to go down to figure out who this... Uh, it's a great little checklist. <laughs> who this who this person is and it ends on um, you know a note for what the conflict will be in the next time but this is primarily a setup and an establishment of the of what was at the time the new status quo for the book so general feelings overall it took me a while to get into it um, and then I liked it quite a bit more um, I think because it suffered from that whole thing where it was like, oh, there's a female superhero and there's some men that have to ridicule her first and we gotta establish that. Which I feel like sometimes happens when men are writing the comics. I notice it doesn't happen in like Squirrel Girl or like um, uh, Miss Marvel, the new Miss Marvel. But it does happen in like Thor and um, the Wonder Woman we read because it's mm. like we have to put these women down or these strong women down and then okay we know eventually they're gonna kick whoever they're gonna kick butt of whoever is ridiculing them but first we have to put them down first and I'm just like oh do we have to deal with the toxic masculinity first I'm kind of of two minds on that because on, on premise I agree with you uh -huh. Here's where I was okay with most of it, which is that at least as far as my understanding of the Norse gods goes, they actually were those kinds of overly masculine jerks. So it, it feels very organic for somebody like Odin to be that much of a jackass. About oh god, this. he's obnoxious. Oh, he's awful. But he's kind of awful like as a figure. You know, in just in mythology. He's he's yeah. powerful and awful. Kind of like, like Zeus, like a lot of them are. I didn't hate him so much when I was reading mythology. I actually really didn't. I remember from when I was reading Norse mythology as a kid, I really didn't like Thor, actually. Well, he's a jerk, too. <laughs> he, he, gets, he gets better than this, though. I'm actually, by the end, I'm like, oh, Thor, you're doing all right. Um, or Odinson, we should say, um, since he changes his name. Yep. Um... And it's always jarring to me to to see um, Sif as like a warrior, um, because growing up with Norse mythology, she's just kind of the girl with pretty hair <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't do much. Not and it, not, like, gets not the her case hair in stolen here. And then is very sad. And I love that she's very different in the comics, but it's always jarring to me to be like, oh, Sif is like really kick butt now. So that's awesome. Yeah. But it, I always have to take a minute and be like, nope, she's not pretty hair girl anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the other thing I wanted to touch on with, with what you mentioned, with the guys being like, oh, girl's Thor now. Like, I, I could find, I could rationalize it and be okay with it when we were talking about other Norse figures being like that. Mm -hmm. Where it went over into almost a parody level was in the fifth issue where the Absorbing Man has some lines, which I think... 
I think very literally, um, the writer on this, uh, hang on, um, Jason Aaron, basically figured out accurately, I will grant, exactly what the whiniest fans were going to say and gave those lines to the they, absorbing man. Yeah, they he literally says, damn feminists are ruining everything, which I just cracked up. <laughs> yes, I mean, to a certain degree, it's funny. Um, and, and like, he, he says other stuff that is literally what certain stripes of fans say. He says, you want to be a chick hero? Fine. But get your own identity. Thor's a dude. It's one of the last manly dudes left. And it, it, with him, it is a little bit more ridiculous and it is a little more forced and it is, it's a little bit too much hanging a lampshade on the whole thing. Um, and that, that one kind of overdid it for me. Oh, see, by then she had kicked enough butt and, like, you know, um, Odinson had given up his name that I was like, okay, she's going to take him down. I'm okay with this now. And it was to the point of being so ridiculous because of that whole, you know, like, dang feminist <laughs> that I was okay with it. And also I liked how Titania dealt with it. That was, that was, I, I don't, I honestly don't know how I feel about that. So basically, um, Titania and Absorbing Man are, I don't know, robbing a bank or something. I get, I guess they're married I, now. I want them to be robbing a fabric store because clearly they don't have enough, like, material for their costume. <laughs> yes, there's, there's a... There's and that a... he's shirtless and that she is missing, like, pretty much most of the front of her she costume. Has, she has a, uh, a wide v-neck, roughly down to the navel. Um, yes. But I, I don't know how I feel about her basically surrendering to Thor just because Thor's a lady now and it becomes like a girl power sister moment. I yeah, that is a little unrealistic. I'm not sure I love it. I will say I like the note that it ended on, which is that, she, which is that Titania says, this is a one-time thing. I am, I am going to kill you next time. And then Thor says, okay, I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you now rather hard. And then just belts her with the hammer. Um, <coughs> so uh, aside from how other characters were reacting to her, what did you think of Thor herself? I liked her. I liked that she was mysterious. And I, throughout the thing, I was like, who is she? I want to know more. I want more backstory. And that at first that annoyed me. Well, it still kind of annoys me throughout because I want I want more right away. I want backstory on her and stuff. Um, I liked all her little thought bubbles and stuff, especially the point where she's like, "Do superheroes hug?" <laughs> <laughs> I her thought bubbles were amazing because what this thing communicates really well, really early on, is that there, when she takes possession of the hammer, there's a certain amount of basically inherent thorness that's kind of driving her actions. Uh -huh. that she's a little bit of a backseat driver on because she will say things in, you know, the flowery, Asgardian, overblown language, and then she'll have a thought bubble saying, really? That's that's how I've got to talk? Okay. All right. And I... The it, thought bubbles were great. They it's were a disconnect that I really enjoy, actually. Uh, that, was a, that was a lot of fun. And it's just kind of fun to see the thought process of someone who is new to this superhero thing. I always like the, like, asides in terms of comic books and the, like, oh, gee. Like, that's what I liked a lot about the the newest Spider-Man is you could kind of see his, like, thought process and there was a lot of, like, 
him figuring stuff out. And I've always liked that when they do that. I don't like the stoic superheroes who are like full of themselves and have it all figured out. Mm. So I like the like, oh, what the heck is going on side of it, so. Yeah. So I found the, the villains to be um, kind of an interesting mix because um, th this was published after the first two Thor movies and it incorporates villains from both of those, um, not Loki. Um, but it does have the Ice Giants who are in the first movie and it has Malekith who's in the second. So I find it okay. interesting that as the story diverges, as this diverges wildly from what the status quo of the movie was, mm -hmm. leading to theoretically people from, you know, coming out of the movie going, oh, I want to pick up Thor and finding a whole different thing going on in the comics, that they still put in those points of reference that fans of the movies could go, oh, well, I do know this and I do know this. Yeah. Oh, okay, so there's something going on here. That said, the whole Rockson <coughs> Corporation thing that there's a little too much going on with the villains. There, there I like movies. Odin as a villain the best and his toxic masculinity. I He's, think he works best as the villain of this. My understanding is he kind of was the long-term villainish presence uh, when she took up this mantle because he really did not accept that a woman was wielding this hammer. But the whole Roxanne Corporation, especially Dario Eger, the Minotaur, I really, I really didn't like him at all. I mean, once he, you know, once he turned into a Minotaur, he was a little more interesting. Yeah, that was interesting, but... But when he, when he first shows up and he's basically going, you know, I don't, I don't care about my employees just napalm this entire floor. I, I really hate villains like that because my immediate thought is, how did you ever build a company? Like, how did you, how? If you are this self-destructive, how did you ever create anything worth a dang? Um, and I mean, I don't know this guy's backstory. Maybe he took over this corporation. I don't know. But it's just, it's a, it's a degree of villainy that I always find really strains credibility when you have someone who is supposedly in command of a lot of resources when they're, mm. when they care that little about them. It, I don't know. Uh, there are ways I can justify it. I just don't like it as a general thing. Mm. And then there's the fact that Roxanne theoretically is an oil company, and yet they have an underwater base with attack sharks and yeah, and a it, and a floating base. It with, gets so out of the realm and like random stuff with yeah Roxanne. And and I have no doubt that all of it has precedent in the existing comics. I'm sure it wasn't made up just for this story. But it's still like, oh, God, really? Um, um, the frost giants work for me because at one point they reminded me of orcs when they're talking about eating stuff. They are, but they're, they're, they're like the, um, uh, the, the ogres from the, the Hobbit, the first one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that and a little bit like the orcs from Lord of the Rings yeah. to me. Um, and then and I like that they're watching... Trolls. They were Odinson. trolls, not ogres. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Geeky pick. Someone else was going to point it out if I didn't say it. Yes. Get it in there. Um, when, when they're watching Otis, Odinson and Thor fight and they're like, should we just like look at the little worms fighting or something? And I just thought that was funny. I like that one eats her and then she like bursts forth from him. Mm -hmm. um, so the frost giants worked for me. 
even though they're big bumbly giants. I loved early on the two the two page spread where they're shown finally because they're the ones mucking up everything underwater and we don't know oh. what it is. So I would say as villains, yeah, it's just really cool. They're coming to attack the underwater base. So they worked well for me as villains. Malekith didn't really work because honestly, I I don't remember much of the second movie. I don't think I liked mm. it or I fell asleep during it or something. That's fine because he's a lot more fun in this than he was in the movie. He was very... But Maybe that's why I just blocked him out because he was like dour and yeah he was yeah he was he's having right fun being evil in this one which is more enjoyable to read yeah and then the Minotaur Dario Dario Aggravator um, <laughs> is I don't know he I was just kind of neutral towards him um, so yeah I'd say the Frost Giants worked the best for me and then Odin. As the overarching villain who's not really a villain but is so obnoxious with his <laughs> toxic masculinity and like I'm in power now I'm back to being the all-father um, works yeah you know he's gonna keep going after Thor and new Thor and yeah. giving her a hard time and MVP goes out to Freya who I love um, I don't know why she was put she puts up with Odin, but I mean I guess she loves him. We don't know why. <laughs> um, but I liked her sarcasm. I like that she goes to see Thor at the end and talks to her and gives her a warning and knows how to find her. Mm -hmm. Um I think she knows more than she's letting on. I've well, always liked her, um, and I really like her here and Sort of to go off on the Odin thing, there was a lot of comments on my notes where I was just like, oh, so can like, can can Freya take care of Odin's other eye? Or can like <laughs> Thor actually get the hammer going and like just conk his father out? And there was a lot of wishing violence on Odin. I really didn't like Odin in this, so. Yeah, well, you're not, you're not supposed to. Either, yes, that so. is very clear. Well, I also know you, you really loved sort of the, one of the last notes Freya gets after she talks with... Oh, yeah, 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 where she goes. Um, should, I should have picked up the damn thing up when I had the chance. Yeah, because as, as you pointed out, she does. she's one of the few who doesn't try and lift the hammer. Yeah, so she's like, damn it. <laughs> Maybe I could have been. Because she's kind of like, what is it like to have the power of the hammer? And, yeah. And hammer time! I just had to say that. Hammer. <laughs> had to get that in. Somebody had to say it. There's a lot of good little nicknames in here, too, for... I mean, some of them are really degrading, but they're also well, kind of I, funny. Like, they're trying to think up new names for Thor, and, like, one of the ones was, like, that Spider-Man came up with was, like, Lady Hammer Pants. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, Absorbing Man calls her Tinkerbell. Which... And, Oh. Uh, yes, Tinkerbell, if you know her from the various spin-offs of Tinkerbell and everything, because she's called Tinkerbell because she's a tinkerer and can play with tools and everything and is like a little mechanic, and she has a hammer. <laughs> so it actually works. It's not just like, oh, they're comparing her to a diminutive fairy. It, it's referencing the hammer, just so you know. Lovely. Um, um, I want to do one kind of comment on the art mainly sort of the shift of artists from the first four issues to the fifth ah. um i don't know if you noticed much of a 
change. I kind of did, and I find myself preferring each artist for different things. Um, I didn't as much in this, though I'm also reading, um, right now I'm reading the graveyard book mm -hmm. and graphic novel form, and there's a shift every chapter to yeah. a different artist, so I think that's jarring me more, so I didn't notice it quite as much as this. It's, it's not, not a, jarring. It's not a huge leap. I mean, everybody's fairly consistent, but um, Russell Dowderman, who does the first four issues, is a bit more, I don't want to say realistic, but... Um, Jorge Molina goes a little more exaggerated, a little more stylized, a little more cartoonish. Oh, with, now that you mentioned it. With his yeah. art style. Okay. The thing is, though, I, I like the way Jorge Molina handles the action scenes a little bit better. Because I had an easier time following the Thor and Absorbing Man fight than a lot of the fights in the other books. I think largely because there was just an excess of like lightning and debris and ice particles and all this stuff and it made some of the fight scenes difficult to follow in the first four because there's just a lot of that. there's a lot of stuff just kind of laid over the there's actual action. There's a little action. too much going on in that world and <laughs> like what with villains and everyone showing up and like Especially if you don't know all the names, the Asgardian names for everything. Like, this is Midgard, and this is Asgard, and this is the elf realm that they're talking about now. And it's... Well, you throw that and references into a fight, and it gets to be a little much. I, I'm not going to disagree, um, although I will say that's kind of the way it goes when you jump in on a running comic book. Yeah. yeah, that even when they start a new arc, which this obviously is, they're not going to stop dead and explain everything from the ground up every time a reference comes up. They're basically going to go on the assumption you'll either get it from context or if you really care, you'll look it up. Fair enough. But again, I mean, it is a more of a fantasy realm than some other comics. So you have to that, that, that's, account that's legit. for that being if you're jumping in you'll have to be like oh of course there's minotaurs and frost giants and everything which granted even in more realistic set on earth um super comics or uh, comics with superheroes they have some weird elements but not usually to this degree where you're talking about realms and different worlds and all of a floating oil company <laughs> <laughs> um i do want to ask you because at the back of this are the the variant covers yeah i gotta review these quick but yeah there there's a few of them i really like i really like basically kind of the chippy version which yes. is by scotty young or, with this little this the grin on that is just adorable. Cute, adorable little thor with this huge grin it's really it's adorable <laughs> um oh i like this darker one um, which one? I like that? the cutesy and the dark. Andrew and then, Robinson, that's a good one. I think my favorite, I think you're coming up next. I like um, Isad Ribic's, um sort of painted um, the looking one. On that. Yeah, the it's... mist look is pretty on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this rocket and group variant is scary, but kind of wonderful at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, I like the chibi and the dark one. I like the thunder one. I like the, the actual lightning. I'm not sure if I like the actual drawing of Thor on this um, one by uh, James Heron. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Um, but it is, it's pretty cool stuff. So, um, 
we're gonna we're gonna touch on something that would count as even more of a spoiler than us having synopsized this, which is I, I know who Thor is, and you don't. And <laughs> well then. <laughs> <laughs> so I I wanted to sort of talk to you a little bit about that because I know a little bit about what's going on there. So listeners, if you're concerned about if you didn't want to know that ahead of time, uh, maybe this is the point to flip off the podcast. It, it was no, not not flip off. Turn off. Don't flip us off. <laughs> um, uh, but flip off Odin if you're going. To there you go. Them. If you're gonna flip off anybody, so, um, so there's he has his list. Uh huh. Uh, Odinson has his list that he's going down, and one of the names on there is correct. One of them is in fact Thor. So if you want to take a quick glance on that, and if you want to make any guess. And you're saying it's someone... Someone who is on that list. That You said I know this That person. is a character that you, that I know you have some degree of awareness of. Um, because I don't know what you know. I don't uh, know what, you know, I, I don't know <laughs> what you know I know about Norse <laughs> mythology. So... I'm guessing you're, you think it's, well, is it Jane? It is. Okay. New Thor is Jane Foster, who was played by Natalie Portman in the first two Thor movies. Uh, I would be down with her playing New <laughs> Thor. That would be pretty awesome, actually. So Thor's earthbound girlfriend is New Thor. And there's an additional wrinkle to that because um, I don't I don't know a ton. How do you know this though? Because I basically I picked up and flipped through a later volume when I was killing time at um, <laughs> okay. Earth at Earth Prime Comics in <laughs> Burlington one time. Um, so sh she actually has cancer, um, and when she picks up the hammer, uh huh, you know obviously she's fine. But that's actually making her cancer worse. Oh. Because what happens is when she picks up the hammer and transforms into Thor, it basically cleanses her body, including... it. Now, it doesn't fix the cancer, but it, it cleanses out her chemo. Oh, so she okay. she turns back and suddenly whatever treatment she'd had for her cancer, it basically got flushed out of her system. Oh, okay. <coughs> Interesting. Huh. Okay, I like that. I think I can I can roll with that. The only other person I really knew knew on here was Brunhild. Brunhild. I don't know how to say her name, but yes, I know her from Norse mythology. So there's that, and the, actually the one Everyone other thing else, that I don't know. Well, Loki, I know, but yeah. Well, the one other thing that I think was a fun bit of trope play on this is after they've kind of dealt with Malekith and the ice giants and whatever, Thor's first question, his first sus suspect, he asks. Uh, or Odinson's first suspect, he asks her if she is his mother, if she's Freya. <laughs> and she responds by kissing him. And she goes, do you still think I'm your mother? He goes, I really hope not. <laughs> and it's a great moment. It is. And normally that kiss would have bugged the heck out of me. But because of the context under which he's doing it, it's and like, no, nope, perfect. And it is one of those stealth kisses, which usually, you know, like no one... You know, if it's a man stealth kissing a woman, that has lots of, like, scary implications sometimes. But it's a little more accepting. And the fact that he doesn't really, like, I, I feel like it's a consensual kiss. He welcomes it. There's that. And then there's also the fact that 
I knew going in that this is someone who actually has an established relationship with him, even though he doesn't know who it is. So it's, it, it actually, it's, even if you like want to go, well, that's double standard because a woman's still kissing, it's still bad. Like, well, yes, but she also does know him and they have had a relationship in the past. So he just doesn't realize it's her. Oh, I really like that now, actually, now that I know it's Jane. Um, yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. And then, oh, he also thinks it's Sif, too. Yes, because he, he, he sits down to talk with Sif, and they have a nice moment, and then he basically goes, so, um... Is you... Do, do you have my hammer? And she gets pissed off and throws her meat in his face. Yes. <laughs> Waste of good meat. Which is also a great moment. Yes, I like th I want to go to that big, the biggest bar in the universe. <laughs> The Asgard get a, Mead Hall. Get get a, a mug of mead about the size of your head. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, that would be impressive. That would be. So I I and correct me if I'm wrong, I think this one gets a recommendation from yes. both of us. Yeah, I would say again, not at first, but then I got into it. I think too, it's because she doesn't show up for a while. Um, into the comics. So I'm like, well, when will we get to her? And then she finally Mystery Woman p picks up the hammer. So, but that is like several pages in. I well, basically, say. the entirety of what would have been the first issue is just the Asgardian. It, well, it's the setup of what's going on with the Ice Giants Frost and Malekith. Uh, yeah, the Frost Giants and Malekith, and then and the Asgardians bemoaning the hammer. And it is literally the last page that she she, showed she that. picks. So it I up. think that's why it took me a while to get into it, because our that our main character did not show up until the very last page of the first issue. Yeah, it's it's an issue of setup, but then it, it pretty much goes at a good pace after that. Yeah, yeah, I would recommend it. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick promotional break, and then we're going to get to do something we haven't gotten to do before. Listener feedback! Yeah! Woohoo! Okay. So we'll be back in a minute. Sawate. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Backroll and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Backroll and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not. Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. 
Okay, we're back and yes, we have listener feedback to get to because we now that we're on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, you can leave comments on episodes at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we have a number of comments, most of which were on our most recent episode, which was covering Raina Telgemeier's ghost. So the very first comment uh, came from the, um, the chronic commenter, Frank. And as is often the case with Frank, I'm gonna truncate this slightly. Um, but he said that he was uh, working through uh, the, some of the older episodes as well, but in regards to the one on ghosts, he said, have enjoyed this new one the most so far and glad you didn't shy away from criticizing Raina Telgemeier, though I've been hearing she's the biggest thing in actual quote unquote graphic novel sales these days. As a liberal, I'm always pushing for more representation, but as an old white dude, I'm also keenly aware that better representation uh, is equally important. In the internet age where basic research is a few keystrokes away, there are no more brownie points to be given out for mere inclusion and an ocean of demerits awaiting for, awaiting for callous cultural appropriation. I haven't had a ton of exposure to Native American culture, but all I have to do is think, what if these kids were playing in an old Southern plantation instead? And the potential for deep hurt in this work becomes clear. Add to that the fact that this book targets children under the Scholastic brand and whatever entertainment value it might have, it might have had gets swallowed up by the willfully ignorant perpetuation of Anglo myths that in our era feel like a paramount concern for progressive society to address. Now, one of the things you learn about Frank is Frank does not have um, light opinions. <laughs> Frank goes all in, but... I also did not have light opinions. No, you, no, you didn't. And, and while I'm not as harsh um, as he is, or I think you were, yeah. on the subject, I, I do still agree that the issues with ghosts were, they did exist. Yeah. Um, but that, and Frank, very first comment we've ever had. So we do thank you for that. And yeah, I'm glad that that was discussed um, because again, I brought it up and went into it in some amount of detail. Um, and it is an issue. Um, she is a big seller and she is under the Scholastic brand, which gets a lot of play in school libraries and everything. And just with school children in general because of book fairs and book orders and things. And Ghost has been a massive seller. So I think that um, it's key that we criticize it, you know, because there are definitely some issues out there in terms of cultural appropriation with it. Yeah, and I, I, I think where Frank really hit it on the head is that it's it's not enough just to be just to have the inclusion anymore. It has to be well done and it has to be respectful because th there was a time not all that long ago where basically just having the token just yeah. the token diverse person whatever basically it becomes a well they're just happy to be here thing and i'm not gonna say that was totally invalid at the time i mean there's a progression to these things stupid as it is i wish we could just jump to where everything's fine but that he's absolutely right that that is not enough now and it's arguable whether it ever should have been enough but there was a time where basically you got a pass just for including this stuff regardless of how well you represented it mm -hmm. and that's it, it it was you know a little bit of research would have gone a long way yeah this. and yeah yeah it's i mean it it always gets iffy when you're de when you're dealing with things that are 
in some way real world issues. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, and that came up because I had, I'm trying to think of what, well, th there was a, there was a quote from um, Alfred Hitchcock that I came across not too long ago that was something to the effect of um, uh, rational thinking should never get in the way of telling a good story, which was his way of basically hand-waving a common complaint of like thrillers. Why don't they ever go to the police? Well, they don't go to the police because it's boring and it kills the story. And so while I'm always very much a story guy and I do believe that you can and should sacrifice a certain amount of reality or what have you for the sake of telling a better story, when you're dealing with stuff that actually has real-world implications, you you don't get to be as flippant with that. Mm -hmm. uh, or you shouldn't, at any rate. A few other comments on that episode. Uh, we had one from the Irredeemable Shag, who said, So excited to have you as part of the network. I'm still working through your back catalog, so haven't listened to this episode yet. However, I am really enjoying the early episodes. One of which he did comment on and we'll come back to. Um, Santaron... I'm not sure if that's a misspelling of Santaran from Doctor Who. I don't know. I'm not familiar with this commenter. Welcome. Thank you for listening, though. Basically, uh, decided to just drop in a joke because I referred to all the folks on the all the other podcasters on the network as geeks, and he pointed out, "Hey, Rob's not a geek. He's a vegetarian." I'll just leave that there. You, you go ahead and leave that there, and we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and finally, uh, well, finally for that episode, Brian Linton said, I'm glad to see this podcast is on the Fire and Water Network. I enjoyed your analysis of ghosts and the different perspectives you each brought to the discussion. I plan to make my way through your previous episode in the coming weeks. Hey, thank yeah. you. <laughs> thank you very much. And, and you know what? As you're about to hear, we are now going to address comments on the older episodes. So just because this this is the most recent stuff by all means comment on the old stuff we'll happily address it um and i'm actually going to be revisiting some of these books with my students because we are doing a graphic novel group with my middle schoolers and i will be re-looking at nimona and miss marvel so it'll, I'm, I'm happy to see comments on those yep and Brian Linton did, in fact, comment on an earlier episode. He commented on our Unbeatable Squirrel Girl Volume 1 episode where we had our friend um, uh, Juliana. Uh, oh my gosh, yeah, I forgot well. Juliana was on that one. So much fun. Yeah, and he commented, I had been aware of Squirrel Girl prior to hearing this episode, but I never read any of her books. After hearing your discussion, I told my wife, who is not a comic book fan, all about her, and my wife immediately found a copy of Volume 1 at our public library for our eight-year-old daughter. Now, both my wife and daughter are overnight fans of Squirrel Girl, and the Squirrel Girl theme song can be heard throughout our house. Thank you both. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yes, Squirrel Girl is so much fun. Yeah. She really is. And that's, I, I think it's fun for everybody, but I love that you basically were able to rope in some people who might normally just not have gone for the fact, just the fact that it's a comic book. Uh -huh. like, yeah, but this is fun. I don't care who you are. This is fun. Yes, it is a lot of fun. Oh, Squirrel Girl. Um, and finally, Shag commented on our very first episode, which was about Batgirl Year One. He said, loved your premiere episode and you covered one of my favorite stories. 
Just a quick observation regarding Robin's involvement, especially since Nathaniel never does research. He did a little bit for Thor. We should be proud. <laughs> Ten seconds of Wikipedia. That's that's big for me. Um, anyway, Shag goes on. You discussed Robin's part in the story, and this might help explain things a bit. Batgirl Year One wasn't exactly a sequel. However, the same creative team had produced Robin Year One prior to this. So connecting Robin to the Batgirl story made a lot of publishing sense. In fact, Robin Year One and Batgirl Year One are together in the same trade paperback now. Looking forward to working through your back catalog. Oh, good to know. Thank you. And yes, I, I have a feeling that probably one of the common threads in comments is going to be people who know more than me <laughs> commenting on all the things that I should have brought up and would have brought up if I did research or was better read. So that, that'll probably be a running theme whenever we deal with um, the superhero end of things. Yeah, pretty much. When you bring it to the table, we're supposed to... I know I do the research, but, but I don't know. It would take me forever to research all of these. Yeah, yeah. So that's... And yeah, a reminder for, for newer listeners, I... I'm allergic to research. I have a doctor's note, so it's it's really not something that I do, um, and that's not gonna change. <laughs> so, story. Take it as just part of part of the show. So tell me what I should, should research. Maybe I think that's the, <laughs> if you would like to tell me what I need to look into more. Um, um, keep in mind that I am a very busy. No, I'm, in, but I know I, you. I'm are, telling so. our listeners, not you, because oh. you don't you don't know what I should research. <laughs> no, because I'd have to do preliminary research to figure oh, out what yeah. further research could be. Ugh. It's a rabbit hole of research, and I, I get hives. It's it's a bad thing. So I think that'll wrap up uh, this particular episode. The plan for next episode, um, and this one was uh, at your request. Mm-hmm is we are be going to be tackling the first volume of Alias. Yes, um, because I, I just watched Defenders and I want me some more Jessica Jones. Yep. So uh, that'll be up next time. Um, but for right now, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, again, please comment. Uh, and we're also on Twitter and all that stuff. You'll hear all that during the outro. So thanks so much. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Punch Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production. This show is presented on the Fire & Water Network and feedback can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at punchlikeagirl1. The theme music is composed and recorded by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye!